You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You had mentioned that Naeem Hines had some interesting things to say, correct? Yeah, Naeem Hines, this quote Zach Kiefer had, I believe Bob Kravitz, who will join us here at the bottom of the hour, was in the scrum as well on Sunday. This was Hines, Jake. Not an excuse, but every year we have a new quarterback. So each year we have growing pains while we sit here and watch Tennessee, which has had Tannehill my whole career. And each year we're restarting and we have to turn the page. So that sucks a little bit. Most teams we play have an established guy, but that doesn't matter. We have to figure it out and we will figure it out. You know, it's like I said the other day. The the and maybe it's circa listen. Andrew Luck retired unexpectedly from the Colts. I get it. So, therefore, they had not planned on quarterback depth or having somebody waiting in the wings. I get it. But the NFL stands for not for long. And the reason that is is because things can turn so quickly, for better or for worse. I'm looking right now at the list of games from Sunday. Andrew Luck retired in what year, Kevin? Uh, Right before the 2019 season. Okay. At that time, you know, we're not going to sit here and go team by team by team, but most, not most, but a, a lot of the teams that you see in the NFL right now are being quarterbacked by someone who was not their quarterback in 2019. There are ways to improve your standing within the position. They went out, they got Phillip Rivers. He was a stopgap. He played well. I get it. Carson Wentz was thought to be a multi-year guy. Owner didn't like him. So he, he's gone. So then you go out and, to be honest with you, they didn't seem to have any plan at that point. Everybody in the world knew that after that Jacksonville game, Carson Wentz was gone. Everyone knew that. Literally everyone knew that. And my friends from Australia were here, and they're like, oh, yeah, the, the Indianapolis, that's the Colts. Now, that, that Carson Wentz was going to be gone after they lost to Jacksonville, right? Yes. But they had no plan. And they got kind of a lifeline at the last minute because of the fact that Atlanta publicly – explored Deshaun Watson as a quarterback, which then made Matt Ryan, like, expendable. And so, well, we might as well get something out of him. And they they traded him. And there is still probably question about Matt Ryan, whether or not they got a Phillip Rivers redo or they got Kerry Collins as a Colt. I, I'm not that bad, but – and so now you're probably – can you run back Matt Ryan next year? No. No. Um, so you're right back to square one, $35 right? $35 million cap hit for Matt Ryan next year. Um, I, I want to go here, Jake. I know a lot of people hear from Jim Irsay's comments about, you know, I want to win multiple Super Bowls, mul- multiple Lombardis in a decade. And Irsay says that. And I think a lot of people are kind of quick to laugh at that. And I, I don't, I'd like to think I'm not one of those people. I think those are aspirations that an NFL franchise should strive for. Are they extremely lofty? Without question. But the most realistic way to achieve such a path of sustained success, which is a phrase that I think Ursay uses quite often, is to take a quarterback risk, have that guy be your guy for a long period of time, and over the course of that decade, whatever, you are making perennial playoff runs, and sooner or later, luck has to fall your way, and you fall into a Super Bowl moment. You make a Super Bowl appearance. You win a Super Bowl. That 2016 was not the best team of that era, but yet time, perennial runs, perennial chances, they struck a little bit of gold with the defense in that year, and boom, next thing you know, they're winning a Super Bowl. The best path to try and achieve that is not via Band-Aid quarterbacks. 
It's via taking a risk at the most important position in sports. And yes, you're putting yourself out there, but if you cash in on it, now you have an opportunity that teams like Buffalo and Kansas City are sitting there having right now. Right. And there is a refusal from the general manager right now to take that chance. And I think an element comes from, again, the stubbornness that I mentioned earlier in the show with his roster building, particularly at that position. And I think there's also an element, too, of if you take that risk, Jake, that means you could get fired. Whereas if the Colts continue to take the Band-Aid approach and win nine-ish games, you probably aren't going to get fired. Kevin, I... I You're just kicking the can down the road. Listen, I know that this is tiresome for people to hear because I, I mention it a lot. But this is the challenge in Indianapolis... This is a a franchise in a city that played quarterback roulette forever. I mean, literally, like when I was in high school, I remember every two years we're like, oh, they found an answer. They found a quarterback. And it's hard, man. It's hard. And then Peyton Manning came around and all of a sudden it was a – I think the Colts got conditioned, and I know that this is not applicable to Chris Ballard because he wasn't here, but it's almost like be, from when you go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, the franchise became conditioned to think that was a, a, a position they just didn't have to worry about. You know, it's kind of like when I started the job here, and I'm going through the new hire paperwork, and one of the things that came up was Hey, did you know that like there's a partnership with the corporation where you can get your car insurance if you pick this company and it will just come right off your paycheck? And I thought, well, hell yes. And so I opted for that. And I never, ever, ever again had to worry about my car insurance payment. Like it was like just a forgotten thing to me. I just, I don't have to worry about it. I, it's just taken care of. And so, like, all of us, that's like a bill that, like, I don't even think about. Like, I forget that I even have car insurance because I don't pay it. And for the Colts, I think the quarterback position was one that, like, they didn't even think about for 15 years because it just it was automatically there. And now here you are, and what are you doing? I, I don't, you can't just keep going. I'm telling you, you can't keep going to TJ Maxx and getting quarterbacks off the, the heap at the cash register that has, like, the two-year-old toddler on candy bars. You just can't. Honestly... How they view quarterback, and when I say they, I mainly mean Ballard, it's probably where I disagree the most. And I've said this before. When Andrew Luck retires before the start of the 2019 season, every day for your franchise, that first day after he retires, you get your scouts, you get your coaches in the room and say, we have got to exhaust every single resource in finding the next quarterback. We need to now go scout Tua and Justin Herbert. And I guess Joe Burrow really emerged kind of in that season for LSU. But we need to go see if those guys fit us and what we need to do to go and find that guy, if he does fit what we have. Um, the other thing that I think I would note if I were Jim Irsay, and I, I don't think Irsay feels this way, to be honest with you, Jake, but if I'm Jim Irsay and I've publicly said sustained success, multiple Lombardi trophies, I would look at how my GM has handled that position and think, wait a minute, that's not the best avenue to try and achieve that. Stop gaps, band-aids, quarterbacks that are walking up the 17th and 18th hole of their respective NFL careers, that's not how a franchise tries to get to a very high bar in the NFL. Again, I don't think Ursay views it like that, but I would if I were Jim Ursay. I would think to myself, wait, my GM is not doing everything possible to try and get my franchise back to where it was or where it needs to get to. Okay. Because even if Matt Ryan were to work out for a year, Jake, and let's say the Colts win 11 games, you're just going to be back with the same song and dance next year looking for, in 2024, looking for the future of your franchise. Kevin, somebody just sent me this text. Jake, four of the seven last Super Bowl winning quarterbacks were Band-Aid quarterbacks. Manning in Denver, Nick Foles, Brady in Tampa, Stafford with the Rams. Those are huge, Hall of Famers that you're naming. And a huge difference. Those were all franchises that were a quarterback away. The the Denver Broncos were built. They had a okay. they had a generational defense to an extent, and they were built for Peyton Manning to come in 
and Manning was a smart enough quarterback to know how to be a game manager of that to put them over the top. Tampa Bay had an has a had a really good roster. They were a quarterback away. The Colts had a quarterback, and we saw this with Peyton Manning. The Colts had two successive quarterback rosters that were that the quarterback masked deficiencies all over the place. And Andrew Luck was masking deficiencies. Peyton Manning absolutely was masking deficiencies, and it came down like a house of cards when he got hurt and Curtis Painter went out there as the sacrificial lamb, and you realized they had problems all over the place. And that's when you realized how great Peyton Manning was because he was covering up where they had been exposed, where they had previously not been exposed because of Manning. The rosters that Matt Stafford walked into or Tom Brady walked into or Manning walked into in Denver, Nick Foles wasn't a stopgap. He was a backup because the main guy got hurt. That's apples and oranges to where the Colts are right now, right? They just have not gone out and addressed that situation. Those were franchises and organizations that were built for a comp for a quarterback to be the final piece, whereas right now the Colts are such that it's the piece that they're still searching for. And I think it's a bit ludicrous to compare where Phillip Rivers was in 2020, where Matt Ryan is right now, to what Tom Brady gave Tampa or what Matthew Stafford gave the Rams last right. year. When you say Band-Aid, there are different levels of the age and still playing at an extremely high level versus where you're at right now from a Colts standpoint. I'll reiterate something. I mentioned in the opening segment, Jake, the Colts right now, six straight games of 20 points or fewer. If that reaches seven straight games on Thursday night, that will tie the longest such streak this franchise has endured since 1993 of offensive futility. And you look at the defenses you've played in this stretch, Raiders and Jags to end last year and now to start this season, Texans, Jags, Chiefs, and Titans, Jake, those teams and those defenses are in the basement of the NFL. Right. I, I looked this up yesterday. I'm not going to bore you with the numbers, but hear me out. These are teams ranking 26, 27, 28 in defense, and right now your offense is awful. And it's awful because it's ending drives with turning the ball over and now putting your defense in terrible situations. You're not even ending it with, hey, here's a punt and here's field position and you've got to drive 80 yards on us. And that right now is a major indictment of an offensive-minded head coach. And if I'm Jim Irsay, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. We're supposed to be having an advantage on this side of the ball. And right now our offense can't get out of its own way and they can't even punt the freaking ball. Kevin, an offense in the NFL in 2022 does two things. It wins you games. Okay? This is, an this is again, I'm going to go back to, it feels like the rest of the league, the phrase is always, you're going into it thinking that you're playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. In this scenario, everybody else is playing chess. They've got pieces that can move all over the board. They got they got a, a bishop that can go this way and this way and this way. They got a, a queen that can go wherever they, they want. You got a, a, a rook that can go down and hook to the, the Colts have like one rook. They got Moali Cox that can go down eight yards and hook a right and that's it. Or Jelani Woods. And then they have Michael Pittman that occasionally as a pawn is able to move some advanced bases. That's it. The the Colts are playing checkers with pieces that can simply go two spots and that's it. And the rest of the league is playing chess. They are built right now as a boring football team that is not winning and that is losing this fan base. I'm telling you, I know we're only a quarter into the season, but this game in Denver, they've got to turn things around because this is a fan base that is teetering on total apathy, which after two decades of great quarterback play and sustained offensive rhythm – is a dangerous thing that Jim Irsay does not want to see because when you have people start talking about wanting to turn in their season tickets or not wanting to get back, that is the last thing that an owner wants to hear. And you are in a year now, so far a quarter of the way into it, where you have yet to win a division game where things are – and maybe going on the road is the best thing for them. Sometimes it's good for a team to just get away from all the noise and, and band together on the road in a hotel, but it's a short week – you're banged up. Your best player in Jonathan Taylor, which again I think is is and he's a wonderful talent, 
But in 2022, do you win by having your offense epicenter around the running back position? Like, they have some issues, Kevin, and they need to work them out. They need to figure it out now because the, I'm telling you, the sand's quickly going through the hourglass on the year. Uh, Simon, welcome to Kevin and Query. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Listen, I, guys, Jake, you've, you've just basically stolen every bit of my thunder, starting from the team being built incorrectly um, right down to the fan base. I have a 14-year-old son who who – We'll, we'll have to move out if he's not a Colts fan, right? But that, <laughs> that not, seems he, harsh. <laughs> well, he's he's not he's he's not interested in the style of play and the the, the we talk about analytics. I, it, that's what they live for, right? They love to watch stats because it's in their phone. And I, I, I'm at a point now. I'm season ticket holder. We haven't been to a game yet. Um, now, I will blame CYO football for that, but he has no interest in even going to the game. I mean, he doesn't – I mean, day one, he's like, we got another washed quarterback in here. I mean, you know, the team is built incorrectly for the style of play. That's a problem, right? You know, I listen to this – I listen to the station all day long when I can get it – when the app's working, right? And – the, the second part, the second part of it is you, you've got a guy that's a basketball guy that's an entertainer on this network, self-glossed entertainer that has said Ballard's a survivor. I, I mean, again, as a as a father of a fourteen-year-old, I like the good, high-character guys, but they're they're losing a fan, a total fan base, and he's got to get a. I mean, Mr. Ursay has done so much great for this community. He has. He strives not to be his father, and he's not his father. But it's time that he lets a professional run this organization, takes a step back, lets his lets lets his daughters run this show. I mean, and 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 deal with his guitars and his cars and those kind of things. That's well. That's the other thing I felt, Kevin, is that Ursay's a great personality, and he's a fun guy, and he's philanthropic around town, but. Doing the concerts, displaying the guitars, doing all the fun things, buying the Jack Kerouac scroll, that is wonderful accentuation to being a winning owner. But the second that the winning stops, those are the first things people are going to point to saying, what's the priority here? I've mentioned this before. The accountability to me is an issue top down right now. Um, Jim Mercy had no issue doing a little song and dance in front of his bus after the Kansas City win. Have we heard from him? since Tennessee all those tweets last week primal loud blue alert we need our fans like we've never needed them before and yesterday it's a tweet of thanks to all the fans for being at the game yesterday he knows this he knows because he said going into it right we need you primal we need you pissed off we need you loud he said all those things right what he knows is this the fans upheld their end of the bargain they showed up they were there. Where was his team? Well, Simon is a CYO. <laughs> True. Where was his team? Down 24-3 at the half? Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is running wherever he wants to go, and everybody in that building, and granted, he's a pretty, level, pretty elite-level talent, but everybody knew Derrick Henry was going to be the guy Tennessee's calling on, and yet the Colts, everybody but the 11 guys that were responsible for stopping Derrick Henry seemed to know that Derrick Henry's going to get the ball. It just at this point is flat, it's lifeless, and it's boring. I think one of the more alarming things, if I were Ursay, would be a moment in Sunday's game that Frank Reich had with Marcus Brady. Frank Reich looks at Brady during the second half on Sunday and says, dude, I I think we might have to throw it on every single down. You're facing the 32nd ranked run defense in the NFL. You have a running back that had 500 more yards than any other player in the NFL last season, you're built to run the football behind the highest paid offensive line, and yet you're in the moment on Sunday and you don't feel like you can run the football? That's supposed to be your strength. That's supposed to be your building block. That's supposed to be everything that has gone into it from a resource investment belief standpoint. And against the dead last running defense in the NFL, you don't feel like you can get it done. And to be honest with you, Frank was probably right. But can you imagine saying that if you were an elite passing offense? Kevin, you are how old? 33. You remember Terrell Davis of the Broncos? Sure. 
When Terrell Davis of the Broncos was in his prime, what were you doing in your life? What phase? You are a 33-year-old radio host in Market 24. What were you doing with your life when Terrell Davis was in his prime? Probably trying to write cursive at Cherry Tree Elementary. Okay. And who was the top musical performer at the time that Terrell Davis was in his prime? God, I mean, it was late night. I don't know. In sync? Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears. Okay. That was the last time that the league's rushing leader went to the Super Bowl. And this is a franchise that is trying to build their offense around a guy that they think can lead the league in rushing. For a quarter century, for a quarter century, teams have decided to do things through the air. And the Indianapolis Colts are dead set on traveling across. They might as well be coached by John Madden because they want to stick everything on the ground. They refuse to go through the air. Partially because they can't. Adam, welcome to Kevin Aquari. Good morning, gentlemen. I just wanted to ask a question. If, if the Colts don't show up on Thursday and we keep seeing the ball getting put on the ground by, by the quarterback, would you be surprised to see a change there to Nick Foles? Yeah, I, I would be. The fact that Adam asked this question on October 4th is just unbelievable. It's a very fair question. It but is. the fact that the question is even being asked is just an absolute joke of where you're at right now at that position. Uh, I, I do not think they would go to Foles. No, I don't. The problem with going to Foles is this. I'm going to use the analogy I've used a billion times. Your backup quarterback's a donut tire. Your donut tire is fabulous in getting you one to two exits until you can get the tire fixed. But if you're expecting the donut tire to take you the rest of the way home, you're in serious trouble. The ball security is just a ju- I mean, but Rosie Kevin, catches the ball in the backyard better than Matt Ryan holds on to it right now. Understood, but at the same time, ball security begins with quarterback security. Well, yeah. And you got a sure. guy making $20 million a year that's letting Denico Autry show everybody that the Colts shouldn't have let him walk. There's an element, though, of like, I mean, Jacoby Brissett's getting hit, and he falls down and takes a sack, and you punt it away. Fair. Like, you, you, you've got to just end drives. I know it sounds so coaching cliche. you got to end drives with kicks. When you don't that, do that. That sounds very coaching cliche. I know. It, it, <laughs> and you're just handing Tennessee these short fields, and you're handing a bad football team hope. Just like Kansas City did with you on the Sky Mormuff punt, you handed Tennessee that early hope with those turnovers. And I thought that set the tone. Uh, Mark, let's sneak in one more before you hit a morning check down. Uh, who should we go with? Uh, let's go with Randy. Randy. Hey, so you guys were talking about the fan base. The issues. I've been a Colts fan since 84, and I'm 42 years old, and I've seen it all, the ups and downs. The, the problem is you've got You were a Colts fan Colts. when you were two? No, I was I was four. When, when they moved to Indy, I was a fan. Okay. I started watching. So, um I would have been a fan of two if they were here in Indy. But Fair enough. We, we, <laughs> I thought you said you're 40 years old. Sorry. I'm, yeah, 42. Okay, sorry. But, um, okay. but we, we sit there and we've gone, us longtime Colts fans have gone through the ups and downs. And we're at a point now where it's like the lows are just like, okay, well, we've seen this before. It, it doesn't matter to us anymore that we're just so frustrated with it. You've got these newer Colts fans who are the ones screaming, doing all the screaming. Yes, I want to see. I, I feel like Frank's going to be gone just because of the apathy that we're seeing from this team. But it's not, I'm not out there beating drums because I've seen it before, and a lot of us longtime Colts fans have seen it before. I think there, there is a section that obviously is there, but Jake, as I said yesterday, if you're five years younger than Randy and you didn't cheer for the Colts at the age of three or four, you haven't seen this before. This is different. This is a different territory for this franchise if you are a Colts fan under the age of 35 or 40, and it's different for Jim Mersey. Jim Mersey has not had this experience as an owner, and I'm very curious to see how he's going to react to all of this. Here's the other thing that's interesting to me for Thursday night. You have two franchises in the Colts and the Broncos, who, by the way, have their own intertwined quarterback history over the course of the years, obviously, but going back to Elway, but 
you have two teams that both have veteran quarterbacks that they thought were going to come in and be a piece for them that was the final icing towards catapulting them where they needed to go this year. Both of them are trying to find stability with those quarterbacks. Matt Ryan here, Russell Wilson in Denver. One of those two quarterbacks has an opportunity now to launch here towards the second quarter of the season. But for the Colts' standpoint, I can't speak for Denver, but for the Colts' standpoint, it begins with trying to protect that guy who has mobility issues anyway, who probably is like four years from starting to get the ARP card mass mailers, and yet they literally have a papier-mâché line with a $20 million guard that has suddenly become a turnstile overnight, a center who is really struggling, and a completely right side that is completely faltering, and Matt Ryan doesn't know which way is left because – Yes, holding on to the football is Matt Ryan's responsibility, but making sure that he's not in the position to have to run away and figure out where the ball is that he's trying to protect is the responsibility of the line, and they flat have faltered in doing that. Yeah. Are you lacking support around Matt Ryan? Without question, but you got him to not make boneheaded plays, and he's made way too many of them and laying the ball on the turf on a consistent basis Fair. here through the first four games. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob Kravitz from The Athletic joins us right now. Uh, Bob, we'll begin with the Colts. Um, you know Jim Mercer about as well as anybody in this market. Where do you think it would have to go for Ursay to do something in season with his head coach and or GM? The only, the only scenario that I could see is they lose to Carson Wentz in a couple of weeks at home. That's where, That's the only set of circumstances that I could foresee where Jim Mercer would say to hell with it and make some massive changes at the top, uh, most specifically with Frank Reich. But short of that, I think he goes the season. I mean, we all know what his history is. Uh, he has uh, studiously avoided being his father, uh, who routinely, uh, you know, blew guys out um, during, during the season. Um, we all know uh, how little success interim coaches have. So I think it's going to take something major like a loss to Carson Wentz before he makes that kind of a move. You know, everybody talks, Bob, about Frank Reich's, and I get it. I mean, the coaches, you know, it kind of goes in tears. And I understand that Frank Reich's probably lack of fire in terms of just his approach is what frustrates people. But is Chris Ballard's seat warm at all? Oh, there's, there's no question. Now, look, both those guys are are extended until, what, 2026, 20, I believe. Um, yes, it's warm because, uh, but that said, I think he will be given the opportunity uh, or a longer leash than Frank, but I think he will be given the opportunity to rebuild this with a new quarterback. Uh, I, I think he will be the guy who picks uh, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis or whoever it is next year. Because I think it's abundantly clear to everybody that they need to stop kicking the can down the road, uh, as I'm going to write uh, this afternoon, um, and, and, and move on with the successor. Now, you know, maybe it's a guy who needs to sit for a year. And in that case, you've got, you've got Matt Ryan. Uh, kind of as his, you know, as his mentor. But there is no question that this is the offseason. If they don't get a quarterback this offseason, to me that's malpractice. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Bob, when it comes to the quarterback position, at some point you got to stop shopping at Nordstrom Rack and go to Nordstrom, right? I mean, it's exactly, that's exactly right. You know, that's but exactly right. You know, ha- having said that, when you look at, um. You know the, the the construction of the team itself, um, and and the way that things were placed. I, you know, is there any chance? Does Ursay once again look at the general manager and the quarterback and like the previous regime? Are they attached at the hip, or are they in fact separated? And there is there any division between Reich and Ballard? I, I don't think there is, but trying to to scapegoat the other one because. Quite frankly, Reich is a guy that was not Ballard's first choice, and they both know that. I don't think there's an internal issue. I, I, I think that Frank hurt himself with his uh, championing Carson Wentz. Uh, I think he had to talk some people into that as being a good idea, and that obviously failed miserably on every conceivable level. Uh, so, 
does Frank still have as loud of a voice uh, internally? I guess that's a question, but I, I, I don't think that we're at the point where we were uh, many years ago where both guys are kind of scapegoating each other. Yeah, I don't think we're there, but I think there's maybe a little bit more behind the scenes than a lot of people view in that realm. Bob Kravitz from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, it's a $35 million cap hit for Matt Ryan next season. How much do you think that will weigh on what the Colts do? Well, I mean, correct me if you're wrong. He's wrong if I'm wrong here. He's got a two-year deal, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're saying is he would be the quarterback next year, but you would also be drafting a future QB and then some sort of passing of the torch after the 2023 season. That's what makes the most sense to me. That's that's what makes the most sense to me. Unless they're they're able to get an absolute stud, you know, you don't make an Andrew Luck sit for a year. I'm not sure if you make a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud sit for a year. But I think that that's an option that's going to be clearly open to them. Um, but I, I think, and while, look, I'm not, I'm not blaming Matt Ryan for everything. They don't have a running game. They don't have great wide receivers, although they're starting to show, off, show themselves a little bit here recently. But uh, I don't know how you sell hope to the Colts fan base if you bring back Matt Ryan next year, unless, unless he turns his whole season around. And I don't see that happening. Which do you think, Bob, this is going to sound like the dumbest question I've asked you. And I've asked you a lot of dumb questions over the years on and off air. (laughs) Which do you think would be a bigger concern to Jim Irsay? Losing a lot of games, but still selling out or losing fan interest? Oh, losing fan interest. I mean, Look, you know, because that's I mean, where they're guys, teetering right now, quite frankly. I mean, if you go by and listen, social media does not all representation no. make. I get that. But if you go by my text, the phone calls, the emails, etc., the narrative from the fan base is at this point becoming more and more, more, more vociferous of I'm done. I, I, I'm, I'm my money is too tight. The economy is such the weather is such that, like, I'm not going to go down and watch it anymore. And that has I, to anger him. I, that, I absolutely, and and I, I think you know, in some ways, the, the Pacers are uh, in a little bit of a situation like like I mean, the Colts are in a situation like the Pacers, where I mean, look, to have what six quarterbacks in six years and to be as competitive as they have is somewhat remarkable. So I, I, I mean, I give them credit for that. How many teams? could continue to have a coach with a winning record with all those quarterbacks in consecutive years. And and none of them have been Tom Brady. So, but I I think the anger level is still high enough that you don't have to worry about, uh, about uh, apathy uh, just yet. I mean, I, I hear the same things from you, but I, I heard the same things after they let Peyton Manning go. And no, I hear you. Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck came in, and they all came back. So uh, I think I think it's more anger uh, directed at the front office and at the coaching staff. And quite frankly, I think the guy who's – we haven't mentioned him, but I think you probably will. But the guy who I think is in the deepest trouble is Chris, Stra- Chris Strasser, the offensive line coach. And that's usually where you see the changes start. Is, right. is in the coaching staff, and then if things don't turn around, then then they get more serious and start uh, hacking off at the top. A little scapegoat party, Rodrigo Blankenship, Danny Pinter, and then maybe an invite for Chris Strasser here upcoming. Um, Bob, shifting gears over to the Pacers, I thought this was interesting yesterday, and obviously want to get your Miles Turner thoughts, but um, yeah. Sham Sharnia, your colleague over there at The Athletic, really long piece on the Lakers and their Russell Westbrook situation and the Pacers' involvement trade-wise with that. Sham's mentioned this. Herb Simon showed increasing interest as the summer went on and having new lead guard Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, and Buddy Heald start the season together. Uh, I read that and I think to myself, wait a minute, didn't Herb sign off on this rebuild? Shouldn't Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan maneuver how they want to maneuver? Right. Herb, Herb can't help himself. He, he wants his little team to be back, you know. Um, I, I, I find, 
you know, it's been my understanding that Herb has signed off, as you said, on a complete rebuild. I think the feeling well, that's not is, signing off right there. No, no, not at all. I think the feeling is that they want to get a decent deal for Miles, and they are going to stand tight, sit tight, until the Lakers come to their senses and understand that they can get two guys who can make them very competitive, if not damn good, for two draft choices. We're talking 2027 and 2029. LeBron will be retired by then, presumably. And who knows where Rob Palenka and any of these other folks will be. Um, So I think they're going to sit tight and wait for something good. Maybe a third team gets involved in some way. But this trade has been on the table for God knows how long. For the life of me, I don't understand why, if you have A.D. and Beverly and LeBron, not necessarily in that order, um, why you wouldn't make that deal? Because, again, you've got LeBron in his prime. What are you waiting for? I mean, it's 2027 and 2029 ain't going to help you. So go for it. So I, I think the Pacers are waiting for the Lakers to get their act together and come to their senses. Interesting, because, you know, they've – and look, the Pacers have made no bones about the fact, Bob, I I know it's gonna, not going to be fun maybe for people this year because people want to see a winner, but I commend the Pacers, and I'm not trying to carry their water, but I commend them for being upfront about it and saying, look, here's what we're doing. I, this right. is this is the game plan. You know, Buckle in because it's going to be a bumpy ride. We're going to have some fun nights together. We're going to have some bad nights right. together. But... but to me, there's like a level of – it's weird, Bob, because there's a level – I've never been more optimistic to suck. You know what I mean? Yeah, embrace the suck. Yeah. I mean, that's kind and, of where they are, right? Yeah. And, look, uh, people in this town have been asking for this for a number of years. I can tell you that Kevin Pritchard has wanted to, to rebuild uh, over the years. But, you know, Herb, you know, and God bless him, it's his team, and he's always wanted to – put the best possible team out on the floor, even if that meant getting the play-in game. And, you know, he understands that, uh, you know, this is a small market and small crowds uh, are not going to help the the bottom line. But I really do think this is a smart basketball town. If, If nothing else, we are a smart basketball town. And we, uh, this, this city will support a team that's young, that's promising, that plays like a tear is on fire. I really believe that. You know, over time, if it lasts three, four years, yeah, that's going to be a little dicey. But if they do it right, if they do it the way the Memphis Grizzlies have done it, where they're now a, a real contender, I think people will stick with the, with this quote-unquote process. And, you know, I mean, Pritchard hates rebuild. I'm like, do you prefer tank? Well, listen, you know, Bob, what's interesting, though, what's interesting is that's not the PR way to say it, Bob. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure you've talked to him too, Bob. The the team that they mentioned the most in talking to to people over there, the blueprint for sure. I've heard the Memphis Grizzlies mentioned like five different times. You are dead on that. That's exactly what they look at and they say, let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a five-year process. You know, I look, look the, the, this organization and Herb in particular have been spoiled. I mean, you had the great Donnie Walsh uh, was able to rebuild the champ, the team that got to the NBA Finals, what, four years later, three years later, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals with a completely different team. And look, Larry Bird did something similar after the, after the brawl and a couple of lean years with uh, – the likes of Mike Dunleavy and Troy Murphy, that team got to the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, they have seen it work in the past, but I think in the modern NBA, and Kevin Pritchard is right about this, in the modern NBA, there's only one way to do it. And look, they're they're due. I mean, they've had so much bad luck in 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 the lottery. Wouldn't it be something if they have a terrible season and end up in position to, to draft Victor Wembanyama. And hey, listen, the, he's the ultimate dream. For people that don't know, he is basically, I mean, he's French, 
but he is yeah. a slightly longer and at this point in his career, more skilled version of Giannis. Is that a fair exactly. statement? Absolute freak. I have never seen the guy play. Tonight at 10 o'clock, Bob, ESPN2. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that changes my whole schedule. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I might actually watch a few minutes. Uh, every basketball person you talk to said, this guy is a generational talent. And, and Pritchard was saying the other day that the draft next year goes seven, eight deep in terms of real franchise-changing players. It's a marvelous, marvelous draft. So this is a chance for this team to get well really fast with what looks like it's going to be three first-round draft picks. Bob, last one from me. Um, Come March, can you rank the likelihood that these guys have their current positions that they have right now? Miles Turner, Frank Reich, Tom Allen. Tom Allen, Stan. Uh, uh, I think Frank, I think they'll turn it around just enough that Frank will keep his job um, throughout the season. Uh, if it's a dumpster fire, I think he might get let go. And Miles, Miles, it's just a matter of time. There is no way that Kevin Pritchard is going to keep Miles Turner when there's no real interest in, in signing a long-term deal to stay in Indianapolis. That's, you can't lose him for nothing, period. So, Tom Allen is yeah. interesting to me, Bob, because it, I feel like Tom Allen, if he is, he, if Indiana has another bad season, or if it continues on the on the the pace it's going, Tom Allen will still be at Indiana because Tom Allen has an awesome contract. That that's definitely a part of it, and I think look. If they lose to Michigan on Saturday, that will be the 699th uh, loss in the history of Indiana football. That is numero uno, you know, in in all of college football in Division One. Um, they've been through a lot of coaches, and I just think they need to commit to Tom Allen, uh, commit to to uh, uh, you know making ma- making the, the financial commitment that they have been and continue to do so. They, they had a great recruiting class. You're not going to last year. You're not going to see that come to fruition for another year or two. So I, to me, it's like, good God, they change coaches every four, five, six years. I think you've got to stick with somebody. And, and you know, I, I don't think this is a, a Paul Christ type situation you know i mean i i don't know i i have a very hard time justifying letting tom allen go even if they have a bad season which it certainly seems they're going to bobby said up next for you up on the athletic will be the colts continuing to kick the quarterback can down the road yes that will be tomorrow and then i have a really interesting piece i think on uh, a1 on uh, friday about pat mcafee's creation story and how um you know, he did all these little shows here in Indianapolis before he blew up and became uh, the king of all media. He was doing promos with you when you had those jeans that looked like they I fit, don't right. you know, Anthony it. Costanzo. I don't want to talk about those jeans. Those, those jeans will never, I'll never live down those jeans. I'm just <laughs> waiting for Mike Wells to send me that picture after hearing that. Uh, I, I think in my story, uh, my editor, who apparently doesn't like me very much, actually printed that picture yes so the jeans will make a comeback on a website that goes out to about a million and a half people Gosh. they were like 42 42s right they fit victor <laughs> webb and yama i believe <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what in the hell i was thinking but fashion has never been uh my you look like day. crisscross it was kind of cool oh i was i was setting a fashion a fashion trend. Yeah, right. easy now. Uh, Bob, as always, thank you for your insight, and I will see uh, you later good. today at the Colts. Sounds good. See you. 9 o'clock hour underway. Good morning to you on a good-looking Tuesday. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. By the way, those of you that were watching on the YouTube stream, uh, there were a lot of people that thought they were doing a documentary on my life or Kevin's or Mark's. That was NFL Films in filming. We were so good on Hard Knocks that they now Amazon Prime wants us, right, Mark? Yeah, yeah. Like we need Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreit, and Kevin Quarry. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe they were going to do a documentary on like your your graveyard obsession. 
Beyond the Crypt with Jake Query. You know that Jeffrey Dahmer, you're watching that show, right? Yes, Bad Meat. It's the Bad Meat. <laughs> I've been to Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. I've been oh to Lacage. I went to Lacage for an evening, which is the club where actually is featured prominently throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of I've done the Dahmer tour, just so you know. Well, that's good mm-hmm. to that's know. That's a comforting feeling. Yeah, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Now, that was NFL Films for potentially a pregame, a little promo on Thursday? Yeah, they said they were going to use some of that in, I mean, who knows how much, right? Probably a two-second snippet in the open, I believe, for Thursday Night Football. As long as they get these these bad boys in there. Yeah, like Mark, can you make sure you... hands. You moisturized your hands? I think you did that earlier this morning in the show, but... Well, that's easy. <laughs> easy i'm just gonna go ahead and go home is that okay let's get into the Can pacers I? conversation alex golden from setting the pace he is with us here on the payless liquors hotline alex the preseason opens up tomorrow night for the pacers give me two or three things you're you're um, especially keen on uh in charlotte tomorrow night i think the first thing to look at is who's in the starting lineup who's first up the bench i'm kind of interested to see how carlisle does his rotations in the first game and I'm also obviously interested to see how Benedict Matherin looks. I mean, he's the rookie. He's the guy that most people are excited to see. But uh, also, I think thirdly, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how they use Turner in the offense this year. I think it'll be fascinating to see if he's more of a pick-and-pop guy or if they use him as a roller a little bit more now that he is playing the five without Sabonis. You know, Alex, what's to me going to be interesting as the year progresses is how deep they go in rotation because I feel like this is a year they will rotate through a lot deeper because this is basically an audition year not only for the for players but for combinations. Does that make sense? No, I completely agree. I think you need to see who fits best with your core young pieces, especially Halliburton. And if players aren't fitting well with that with Halliburton, especially then. Are they going to be long-term fits? So I think that's a great point, Jake, and I'm right there with you. I think that's the most important thing to keep an eye on this season. It's Alex Golden, NBA, on Twitter. You've heard him on these airwaves, and now with Pacers season back up and running, we're going to have Alex on a little bit more here moving forward. Um, Alex, it was interesting. Last week when Rick Carlisle mentioned how the second unit you know, got the better of the first unit in the first training camp practice, um, and he threw out those names. I'm like, man, you know, a name that I really have forgotten about is O'Shea Bursett. And like, if I were to label like Pacers players, we're not talking about enough. And part of this is my fault. I would probably put Bursett close to high on that list, considering the future of the four position is a little bit up in the air with the franchise. Obviously, Jalen Smith, you, you, you hope is that guy. Um, who else would you classify as maybe players we're not talking about enough entering this season? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you on O'Shea, and I, I'm I'm kind of curious myself why he's not been involved in the second unit as much, saying that he is the only true wing that they're going to have probably playing serious minutes this year. So they didn't give him the extension in the offseason as well, which I kind of understood that, but at the same time, why let him go into unrestricted free agency? Uh, he came on our podcast and said that he wanted to re-sign here with the Pacers. So just a little bit uh, surprising to me to kind of see him falling out of the top ten, but uh, another guy, I guess, that we really haven't talked about is Chris Duarte. I mean, we've talked about him a little bit, but, you know, I think a lot of people speculated that Matherin would be starting and it would be between Buddy Hield and Chris Duarte. But, no, Duarte and Buddy Hield are going to be starting together with Matherin more than likely coming off the bench based off what we know. And I think if you look at what Rick Carlisle has talked about and preached all offseason is they want to get better on defense. And looking at last year's numbers, I know that Rick Carlisle brought this up in one of his press conferences. Chris Duarte was always in their best defensive lineup. So I think if they're really trying to establish their defense this year, there's a reason why Chris Duarte is in that starting lineup because of his defensive versatility, not to mention how well he was on offense last year, very poised player. So I think Duarte probably gets slept on a little bit just because he's not as young as some of the other guys. And because we saw, you know, he was pretty good last year, but we're more excited about the Isaiah Jacksons, the Terry Taylor, the mystery that is there, you know, obviously Matherin and Halliburton and even Jalen Smith, but I think Duarte has been slipped on a little bit. One of the guys, Alex, Alex Golden is our guest, by the way. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line. One of the guys to me that is intriguing, and I think you just mentioned his name, but do you believe Aaron Neesmith, for those that are unfamiliar, is a guy that was, you know, he came out of Vanderbilt. He was a high draft pick for the Celtics, didn't really break the rotation. 
kind of gets thrown in in a trade that brings him to Indiana. Do you think the Pacers look at him as this is like a Jermaine O'Neal situation where they see a promising young player that opportunity is simply all he needed? Or is this kind of the last run for him and anything they get out of him is gravy? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if it's – it might be a combination of both, to be honest with you. I think that they liked him coming out of uh, Vanderbilt. Obviously had the injury, but was incredibly uh, well-known as a three-point shooter, and that really hasn't translated to the NBA. But I think where you can kind of draw a comparison is to what they did in acquiring Jalen Smith, a guy that was a young player from that same draft class in 2020, which is a very weird year, obviously, with COVID and the shortened season, stuff like that, and just really didn't get a chance to crack the rotation because he was playing on a championship-level team in Phoenix. Well, now, same thing goes for Neesmith, a young player that didn't really shoot the ball incredibly well, didn't get enough reps to kind of get into a rhythm. So I think the Pacers looked at this as this is a young wing that can actually defend pretty well, can shoot the ball from three. We get him in here with Halliburton, allow him to play a little bit more freely, not as much pressure, not trying to prove himself to get into the rotation because, like with Boston, we know that he was trying to fight for minutes. And and here, knowing that this is a rebuild, he won't have to do that. So I think the Pacers like the upside here. I don't know if it's like a final straw type thing, but um, if he does really struggle here, then that could probably be the case. But I don't think he will. I actually think he's going to be pretty decent here in this rotation just because he's going to be able to play a little bit more freely. Yeah, thrown into a pretty bad situation in summer league. Struggled there, but he's another guy I'm curious to watch. Again, Alex Golden setting the pace as the podcast. Are you still doing some 8 points, 9 seconds written stuff? No, I'm I'm no longer with 8 points, 9 seconds. I did, however, uh, I'm starting a blog this year called The Blue and Golden, so I'll be doing that. And uh, we'll also have a YouTube show. So uh, trying to do a little bit of different things this year, but – uh, still rocking with setting the pace, though. No, that's not going anywhere, but the Blue and Gold will be also a YouTube show that I do once a week. Again, Alex Golden's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, we had Bob Kravitz on about a half hour ago, Alex, and you know he seems pretty adamant Miles Turner's not going to be here. Uh, what do you think the Pacers should be seeking in return for him if and when they do move him around the trade deadline? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, number one, I just hope he's healthy by the trade deadline because last year we saw that injury happen right before it, and it really did hurt his value, and I think it hurt his value a little bit in the offseason as well. So I I feel like with Turner, you're looking for uh, a first-round pick, no doubt about it. And if you can get a young player with that, similar to what you got with the Brogdon trade, I think that makes a lot of sense. But who knows? What Does the year matter on that first round pick? Sorry to interrupt, but you know when you see no. Lakers twenty twenty seven, twenty twenty nine, I I worry that you're not aiding your current rebuild enough with those picks so far in the future. Am I wrong in that thinking? No, I don't think you're completely wrong, but I do think there's a little caveat there because look at what the Cavaliers just did to acquire Donovan Mitchell. I think the Pacers are slowly building up the right pieces around Halliburton. You got Mather, and hopefully he works out. Isaiah Jackson, Duarte, Jalen Smith. Then you got this upcoming year's draft pick. You get that core together. Now let's say a young player becomes available that you really like and you have those enticing Lakers picks in the future to trade. People love picks until they become picked, right? So I think having them further out, knowing LeBron James probably won't be there. Who knows what the state of the Lakers will be in 2027. It's already kind of muddy right now in 2022. So I think those could be very enticing in a trade to acquire somebody that could really help go with this team. So to me, I I actually don't mind the Lakers trade because it does make sense for both sides and for the Pacers to, you know, get off that extra money for Buddy Hill for next season so they have more uh, money in free agency. But I I think, honestly, they have to be both unprotected. I know that that's been reported by Shams yesterday and it's kind of been ongoing all summer long. But in terms of, like, if you're just trading Turner, I think you have to get a decent first-round pick there was a uh, note in that report from Shams that they had talked about involving Memphis in the trade that would send. I kind of like that idea. Yeah, no, I do too. And I, I don't know if that will still be happening now that they did resign Steven Adams to a two year extension. I think he could have been in that deal because he was an expiring contract, but we know Memphis has a lot of young players on that team and they're not going to be able to pay them all. So I like the fit of Miles in Memphis next to Jaron Jackson Jr. I like Miles fit in Toronto with that core. I think he played his best defense 
under the Orkin system, even though everybody else is bad, he was really good. And they've got the athletes to kind of play that style. So I think you could probably find something that helps you more immediately if you wait and get the most value. But I still like the idea of having picks and the fact that Kevin Pritchard did say in his press conference uh, for the media availability on that Thursday that he wants about 10 more picks. I think that that's really what they're focused on is more so getting picks because right now they're kind of running out of roster space to give these guys a chance to showcase what they have. And I think now they just want to free up that space, get more picks for, for future assets. Alex, every team seemingly needs, you know, Reggie Miller said it best. Everybody needs a little crazy. And, you know, like Ron Artest was a guy that was a tone setter. Yeah, he went over the edge for sure. We know that. There's, we, we certainly know that. But you need a little bit of that tenacity of a guy that, like, he's on your team and so the other team is always kind of aware that he's there. Some people say, you know, like, like just a junkyard dog. You know, the guy that will do all the dirty work, get in your grill if need be, or somebody all of a sudden throws an elbow at an Aaron Neesmith or a Benedict Matherin, and they're there to have his back. Who's that guy for Indiana? I don't really think we have one, to be honest with you. Not right now. I mean, maybe it is Matherin. Um, I know how competitive he is, but right now it doesn't seem like they have that guy. Um, I feel like it potentially could be Goga, <laughs> just <laughs> because we, we – Well, we he did it with Goga that was, assistant coach that one time, right? Foster? Yeah, and, yeah, with Foster, he got into it. Uh, and shout-out, Greg Foster it was his birthday yesterday. Just throwing that out there. But uh, <laughs> with that being said, I mean, look at what Goga did with Team Georgia when they got into it with Cork Maz and Goga and two other guys from Georgia went into the locker room and had that scuffle. I mean, Goga's kind of like, you know, been through a lot in his young career. Like, if you go back and read his story and how he got to the NBA, it's pretty wild just to think of what he went through. And you kind of want to root for the guy just because of the hardships that he faced. And, He's kind of a no-nonsense guy. He doesn't like being picked on, doesn't like being made look stupid. So I don't think he'd have a problem being the enforcer, but I don't think he's going to see the floor that much to really be that guy. So they really don't have it right now unless for some reason Benedict Mattern becomes that player, in my opinion. Alex, um, the win total, I just looked it up, 23-and-a-half. I am literally hammering the over on that. I, I <laughs> 23 is such a small number. I, do I think the Pacers are, you know, in this incredibly talented team that's going to challenge for a playing spot? No, but I, I really think this is a team capable of, you know, winning around 30 to 35 games. Uh, certainly health plays mm. a lot into that. I just don't think they're going to be that awful. Um, you know, they had tons of injuries last year, and they were in a lot of the games late. I just think luck will bounce their way with some of those late-game situations there. And it's a young team that I think is going to play hard. Um, am I uh, ludicrous in thinking that I should hammer that 23-and-a-half over? I don't think you're ludicrous. Uh, the last I had seen was 24-and-a-half, so maybe it's even gone down more, which is kind of wild. Um, no, honestly, like I think ESPN, Kevin Pelton, his projections had them winning like 38 games or something like that, uh, and they do a lot of different factoring in their injuries and all that kind of stuff. Personally, for me, watching the Pacers lose 10 games in a row to end the, end the season last year, I kind of think they know what's at stake here, and I, I think they kind of have their eyes set on Victor Wimbanyama. I haven't heard that or anything, but it's pretty obvious that they would like to kind of get their hands on him. And the best way to do that is to lose as many games as possible. I think they are probably the worst team overall in the Eastern Conference, and I know some fans might not want to hear that, but just looking at the roster in totality, I just think there's too many holes. It's a bunch of guards, a bunch of centers, and no and no wings, really. So. For me, I have them winning about 22 games when I did my uh, – when we went through the, the schedule because it's just like looking at all these teams, I mean, the East is deeper than it ever has been, and so is the Western Conference. So I just feel like on paper the Pacers are really going to have to outplay their opponent in a lot of these games to get close to 30 wins. Now, if they got 26 to 28, that wouldn't surprise me, KB. Uh, but anything 30 and higher, I think, is a little bit much, in my opinion, in terms of how many wins they get this year. I just need them to win three of ten games. Three of ten. Doesn't that sound doable? <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, they yeah, you're right. If they went three of ten, you're right. They're good, right? I mean, I get it. The East is is better, and I'm with you on that, Alex. But it's also the NBA. The teams are going to be resting. Some teams are going to look at the Pacers and say, "Hey, tonight's tonight that we're going to need to sit some guys." Yeah, yeah but no, you're right. 
I wonder I wonder how much Carlisle will like, okay, we're only going to play Halliburton 25 minutes tonight instead of 33 because we're trying to lose some games, give Nimhart some minutes here to kind of grow as a young player, get Kendall Brown in the mix. Let's see what he looks like towards the end of the season. I mean, we had two-way guys playing a lot towards the end last year as well, trying to prove themselves like a Gabe York, that kind of thing. So I think they know what's at stake, and I think this year they've been hammering home development, development, development. And I think that is kind of like a warning of, hey, we're, we're tanking without saying it because they don't want to admit they are, but they are. I, by the way, I, I think Gabe York is the most – that was a big missed recruit by Notre Dame back in the day. He Gabe, Gabe York is the poster child of random NBA dude. Like, as far as I know, Gabe York was was in Welcome Back, Cotter. You know what I mean? Like, Gabe, Gabe York was a math teacher in Yuma, Arizona in 1977. I think he went to Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. Gabe, Gabe York was like, yeah, yeah, my buddy from college, Gabe York, he was an A-pie. You know what I mean? Like, Gabe York can be anything. Yeah, no, I, I get you there. He was uh, a if Gabe York's on your roster, you are tank. I mean, you know what I mean. You're either the Erie Bayhawks or you're tanking. Is he going to make the team? (laughs) No, he's uh, he's on the Mad Ants. He's back on the Mad Ants. So, are are we uh, Uh, watching Victor tonight? And this would not be Oladipo. Um, and and the other guy (laughs) that he's going up against, Scoot. You know, we should probably keep an eye on some of these other guys. Are the mad ants yeah. just ants that are in the G League and therefore they're mad? Is that what that is? Should they just be the Jake, like, I asked Alex an intelligent question here I think that's about a fair question. the 2023 NBA draft and you want to go to the Fort Wayne Zoo. <laughs> it's a great zoo. Did you know that? It's actually a well-reputed zoo for a city that size. They've got a great zoo. I don't know what you have against Alex, it. Alex, for our listeners that maybe don't know what's going on tonight, Webb and Yama against the G League ignite who they have some guys that obviously could go pretty high in the draft yeah scoot henderson's the guy that's projected to go second overall and i thought when i actually loved what he had to say i don't know if you guys saw this or not on twitter yesterday but they they asked victor women about scoot henderson he said yeah he's a great player and he'd probably be the first pick in the draft if i wasn't in the draft so i uh i actually like the confidence from women and, and scoot henderson a lot of people really like him i've actually talked to some people that like him more than women but uh, obviously, Wimbenyama being seven foot, I think three, seven four, something like that, with a seven foot eight wingspan. Uh, I mean, he's he's a freak, and he can shoot the ball, put the ball on the floor, he can dunk on people, block shots. I mean, I think if you have a chance to watch this, I don't know if I'll be able to have time to watch it. I might watch highlights later, but uh, I, I would highly recommend trying to find a way to watch this because it's going to be a really fun showcase of the top two prizes in this year's draft for sure. Alex, Scoots do you remember? Guard, right. What was that? Scoot is a guard, correct? Yeah, he's another six-five guard. So right at the Pacers alley in terms of players they like to go after. Do you uh, remember Alex but, when? Yeah. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, Here comes an ant question. No, when LeBron, <laughs> when LeBron's contract was originally, you know, the summer of the decision, right? It came down late. The Lakers, well, the Lakers, I don't even think were in the mix then. Maybe the Clippers, the Knicks, the Heat. Uh, the Cavs were one of them, obviously. But a couple of years before that, everybody, every team in the NBA started clearing cap space. And everybody was clearing cap space because they were the, they were going to outthink everybody by having the cap space to make a max offer contract to LeBron. And then within like a year, you figured out literally every single team was doing that to try to get LeBron. Nobody was original in their thought. It feels like with Webb and Yama, that's where we are. Like, every team is positioning themselves to try to move into the draft to get this guy, and they all think that they're the only one that's doing it. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think I get what you're saying. But there are about four or five teams that are, like, openly trying to lose, I think, like Utah, obviously, OKC, um, probably the Spurs for sure, and uh, the Pacers, I think, are right in that mix, so. I think Wimbin Yama, like while he is clearly the number one prize package here in this in this draft class, there's still a lot of really talented players in this upcoming class. So I think that's what makes it really intriguing to kind of lose this year. And if you look at the the, the players that are projected to go like in the top ten, a lot of them are small forwards that are at that six seven to six nine uh, height. And I think that's what the Pacers desperately need on this team. So even if they don't get a Wimbin Yama, which I think would be the ultimate prize for them. 
there's still a lot of young players in this draft that I think are really enticing. So while, while you're not going to like just miss out on like a LeBron and free agency, you're still going to get a nice consolation prize with a lot of these players that are, uh, that are in this draft class. By the way, Anthony Wayne, who Fort Wayne is named for, Anthony Wayne, who was part of the American Revolutionary War, served in the United States Army, um, senior officer of the Army. His nickname was Mad Anthony Wayne. That's why they're the Mad Ants, just so you know. Mm. But I still think well, some of the go. some of the Mad Ants probably would be happier ants if they were in the NBA instead of the G League. <laughs> I, I just, in I my have, opinion, that sucks. <laughs> I have never been more confident in anything in my life than the Pacers winning over twenty three games. This year. <laughs> Kevin, actually, well, I, I don't know if you know this or not, Alex, but we just we were under new ownership here, and so we had to reallocate our four hundred one k rollovers and whatnot. Kevin just put all of his in the over. Yeah, right? oh yeah, all of it. They said, all "Do you it. want to roll over?" And he said, "No, I want to hammer over." Alex, if you want to Venmo me, feel free. Yeah, I mean, seriously, twenty four and fifty eight. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, I'll pull for that for you, so you're not broke. But well, thank uh, you. I don't want to get too much higher. I, I I think it makes a lot of sense to try to be as bad as possible this season in terms of record-wise but I, uh, I get that uh, yeah just just you know it's you don't want to be where the Colts are right now or you're just retreading for the past six years right so uh I, I just feel like this is the Pacers team and they're not getting anywhere near the top anytime soon based on how everything looks and how everything's stacked up right now so it makes sense to kind of go this route and then in a couple of years be ready to go and hopefully be a playoff contender and maybe have a deep run with Carlisle still here before uh, you know, who knows how long he's going to be around, but, you know, while he's still under contract. He's a great follow in the off season. Now Pacers season is here. Alex Golden will be producing a whole lot of content. Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Alex, thank you, my man. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon.